Welcome to Foresight, I'm Greg Williams. We're currently doing a special series in which we spent time with a number of the speakers who we were fortunate enough to have grace our stage at the Wide Impact Sustainability event in London last November. Today, we're looking at decarbonising the chemical industry and building a circular bioeconomy. From packaging to textiles, pesticides to cosmetics, pretty much every object we interact with is dependent on chemicals. And all of these everyday objects are produced by an industry that is entirely dependent on fossil fuels for its inputs. In addition, the chemical industry is estimated to be responsible for around 7% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Many chemicals are known to have long-term environmental impacts. Silicon, for instance, which is in a wide variety of household products, from shampoo to cleaning products, takes years to break down in nature. Today's guest is Matthew Flamini, the CEO and co-founder of GF Biochemicals, a leading sustainable biochemical company with the mission to end chemical pollution by finding safer and more sustainable alternatives to the harmful petrochemicals commonly found in everyday products. We're going to hear how the company has spent over a decade developing an organic compound which functions as a platform technology that could lead to the end of chemicals that are dependent on oil. Matthew's had an impressive career before becoming an entrepreneur. He was an elite level professional football player for Arsenal, AC Milan and the French national team. We're going to hear how this has shaped his approach to entrepreneurship and leadership as he scales his business. Enjoy the conversation. So Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Greg. It's a, it's a real pleasure. So I think it'd be interesting just to kind of dig into a little bit of, of context to start. With a platform like yours, the success you had as a football player, you could have chosen to champion any course. So I'm curious, um, why did you decide to focus on decarbonizing the chemicals industry? If you allow me to get back a little bit in time and to tell you uh, about me when I was um, a bit younger, I would say. So I grew up um, in the south of France, close from Marseille, by the sea. And uh, growing up uh, from a very early age, I had, uh, I had two passions. The first one, it's an obvious one, which is a one for football. Uh, I started playing at the age of five years old and uh, I've been lucky enough to live from my dream for the past uh, 18 years of so being a professional football player. And the other passion was related to sustainability. So my father was uh, a diver by passion. He used to take me with him when he used to go uh, and dive. And uh, I still remember to date, you know, the, the hours spending on a beach collecting plastic because already at the time, unfortunately, like uh, we were facing uh, chemical pollution through plastic at the time. And uh, from a very early age, I've always been uh, very much aware of those type of problems. And uh, also from a very early age, I always wanted to be involved, you know, like to be involved in being part of the solution. That's why after some times, after playing football professionally, uh, I wanted to to challenge myself intellectually and also to to be able to fulfill this other passion, which was related to sustainability. And considering that today, the petrochemical industry generating more than one third of the oil demand, it is a big industry which needs to be, I would say, challenged. And it's an industry which needs also to be revolutionized. And we need to accelerate this transition in the industry and go from a petrochemical industry, meaning like an industry based on fossil fuel, and to bring it to a bio-based industry, meaning based on, on biomass, meaning like agriculture waste, meaning much more sustainable and much more safer. This is why I decided more than 12 years ago to start this journey and to bring my humble contribution and try to accelerate the transition from a petrochemical industry to a bio-based industry. 
And it's interesting because you, you said, I think 30% of all fossil fuels are used in some form in the petrochemicals industry. But I guess most consumers don't think that the everyday products they use have petrochemicals in them. They just think that maybe they're, you know, they are related to nature because that's the way that the FMCG companies like to present them. Do you think maybe there's a lack of awareness with consumers in terms of like what actually they're, they're using and what they're putting on their bodies? This is exactly right. I think the general public is not aware at all of what is a petrochemical industry. And this is an industry which nobody can escape because the reality is every single product we use on our daily basis is based on petrochemicals, going from shampoo, deodorant, plastic bottle, a pen, uh, the chair we're sitting on right now. Everything is made of petrochemicals, meaning like the starting material is fossil fuel, meaning that everything else is uh, based on this raw material. And if I take a very simple uh, example, I mean, you take the shower gel we use every day, take the creams we put on our body, the shampoo, everything who comes in contact with, with us is a derivatives of fossil fuel. So this is uh, definitely an information which not many people are aware of. And I think also part of, uh, part of, of my journey about, uh, over the past 12 years was to also like be able to create more awareness around this topic and to tell people, listen, I mean, today, one third of the oil demand, which is a lot. Okay. Because we even anticipate by 2050, it will be more, I mean, oil demand going to petrochemicals and to transportation, meaning like together cars, trucks and plane. So this is definitely something which People are not necessarily aware. And once you're starting to realize it, then you start asking yourself questions. Once you start asking yourself questions, you make you can make a better choice. And it is for that reason that I decided to go in that industry because it's an industry which has a direct impact, obviously, on nature because it's an industry generating huge amount of CO2 emission, also a lot of pollution, but it also has a direct impact on our health because the reality is like a lot of ingredients are today is being phased out by the EU, by the government, because we have discovered that a lot of them are not safe anymore for people. So this is why I think there is also a part which is important around like creating awareness and explaining people that everything they use is not necessarily like a safe, I would say, and sustainable. And today you have alternatives. And this is very much what we're trying to, to provide. And I'll tell you a bit later exactly what we do. Yeah, so so maybe let's just dig into how you started working in this industry. You were at the time you kind of um, sort of started an interest in this area. You were still playing, were you? And you came across some potential partners. How did that work? So this is correct. It was um, over twelve years ago at the time. So I left. I started my career in in Marseille for the club of Marseille. I was eighteen, and um, after years. After one year, I left to, to join the club of Arsenal at the age of 19. So I joined, uh, moved to UK, joined, joined Arsenal, paid four years for Arsenal. And after four years, I moved to AC Milan in Italy. And I think it's, um, it's circumstances, you know, like, uh, I like to call it serendipity, you know, like life makes you, uh, uh, meet people. This is a little bit what has happened with me. I met the co-founder of GF Biochemicals which became a very close friend. We met with uh, some scientists, which were at the time also like collaborating with the Polytechnic of Milan. And uh, we came out um, a list of uh, interesting molecules, which were at the time identified by the US Department of Energy of the future molecule with the potential to greener the petrochemical industry. And, uh, and one of them was called uh, levolinic acid. So to make it simple, LA. And this molecule was particularly interesting because it was called a building block 
building block meaning that starting from this molecule, you are able to move to a large number of derivatives. I like to make the comparison with oil because once you have extract oil from the ground, you refine it and you can go in a hundred of derivatives. As I was mentioning, you find a petrochemical product in a plastic bottle, you find petrochemicals, you know, like in a, in a detergent. Levonic acid has the same, I would say, opportunity to go to a large number of derivatives. But the main difference, it is our molecule is plant-based. Right. Plant-based meaning we use agriculture waste, so second generation feedstock, which we then convert into levonic acid. And from levonic acid, we move to a large number of derivatives. So this is a, obviously a huge difference because we have been able to complete a large number of what we call life cycle analysis in terms of like uh, to assess the amount of CO2 emission we generate and our product compared to the product coming from the petrochemical industry, we are able to cut up to 80% CO2 emission, which is a, a huge number, a uh, huge reduction on top of all the other positive aspects, which are like obviously safer in terms of toxicity, also like uh, biodegradable, not aquatoxic. So all those aspects are obviously extremely mm. important, not only for the people, but also for the planet. Sure. And and if I understand it correctly, you're producing um, the Levonic uh, Levul... Excuse me. LA. And if I'm... You can make it LA. This is a, an easy way of putting it because even for me, after 12 years, I still have some issue to pronounce it. But uh, yeah. Um, and, and if I understand it correctly, you're producing the LA, labulinic acid, from agricultural waste. So presumably this is something that is scalable and clearly sustainable. This is correct. And, uh, and maybe to complete uh, a little bit what I was saying before, because how do you go from playing professional football player to like uh, starting a chemical company? So as I, as I was saying, so uh, at the time I was playing for AC Milan, met some uh, very, uh, very smart scientists, which identifies this molecule, which was not developed at industrial scale at the time, meaning like nobody else was able to produce it at large scale. We developed a collaboration partnership with the Polytechnic of Milan and we had this crazy idea to do something which nobody have done before. As you can imagine, I love the challenge very much. I'm uh, adrenaline addicted. And uh, <laughs> I also like when somebody is telling me this is not going to be possible to achieve. This reminds me when I was like 10 years old and when people around me used to tell me, okay, I mean, to become a professional football player is one out of a million. I mean, maybe you should, should focus on something else. So this is exactly what I want to become. And I've I managed to, to achieve my dream once, so why not twice? And this is why we said, okay, I mean, like if something which never, nobody have done before, this is exactly what I want to do. Then we started with a long journey because also what's very important to mention, uh, often people, you know, from the tech industry asking me, oh my God, but what have you been doing for the past 12 years? <sighs> the reality is we are not building a website. We're not building an app. We are deep tech. Deep tech meaning like it's uh, long research, development, and then you move to hardware, meaning like you have to build a chemical plant. So it's, uh, it's heavy capex. And it's not easy to penetrate, I will say, uh, such a large industry. So, so what we did, set up a, a partnership with the Polytechnic of Milan, uh, develop the technology in a lab. Then you have to prove this technology in a lab. Then what you have to do also, like you have to, uh, I remember the time we acquired like a bigger reactor to prove the concept also, like still in a lab, but on a bigger scale. And then once that's done, we had to move to an industrial scale. Uh, whatever works in the lab doesn't always work, you know, at, at a bigger scale. So what we did is identify an industrial plant in Italy, which we 
retrofitted. And we also like prove the concept at large scale in order to manufacture labolinic acid at the bigger scale. Then once you have done that, what happened in order to enter the market, you have to go for a long journey of certifications, which we call in Europe REACH, in the US HR. So you have to go through a long journey of certification, making a lot of tests, demonstrating that new product is not toxic. It is like safe for environment, for people. That's why I mean the new product entering on the market are much safer and more sustainable because, I mean, we use, I would say, new uh, regulation. So it took a long time to do so. And then uh, we finally entered the market a year and a half ago and we start qualifying the product because what's very important is when you buy a shampoo, when you buy a shower gel, uh, if you turn and you look at the back of the packaging, you have those 20 to 30 to 40, you know, uh, uh, ingredients, which are very difficult for people to, to identify or to understand what it is. So we are an ingredients of these formulations. And what we are allowing to do is to provide a final product and we allow this final product to be more sustainable and to be safer by basically like targeting the most harmful and unsafe, I would say, ingredients and to replace them by the product which we have uh, developed over the past 12 years. So to answer you, your question, yes, today we are uh, manufacturing LA and its derivatives at large volumes. And it took us... Uh, over 12 years to achieve this. But today we are very pleased because we have entered the market. We have a product to sell and we are working also with a large chemical groups with a large FMCG because I think it is very clear for everybody today. I mean, we have to accelerate this transition. So the question is not about is the transition going to happen or not because this is clear. It is happening already, but the question is it happening quick enough right. or not. And um, this is what we're trying to, to achieve by partnering with a big chemical group, the big FMCG, in order to help them accelerate this transition and make sure we can deliver to people out there safer and more sustainable consumer good products. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more from Matthew Flamini shortly. I want to dig into the productization, Matthew, but you just mentioned the scaling. And clearly, you know, if we're talking about 30% of all oil production going to the petrochemical industry, that's an enormous scale. Like what kind of time frame do you see that happening over? So uh, this is a, a very good question. I don't necessarily have, have the answer, but what I can tell you is, let me tell you about our technologies, okay, if you don't mind. So we have today... 200 patents, 40 different families. Uh, we have technology to allow us to do plant-based solvent. We have technology to allow us to do plant-based plasticizers and also what we call plant-based polyols. So maybe like to explain in three words, the polyols is what you find, you know, like if you make a hole in your sofa, the white form, which you find. So we have technology to make this white form like up to 80% plant-based and also recyclable. One thing, plasticizers. What is a plasticizer? In a few words, if you take a plastic bottle, you have, uh, from plastic, you have on one side, you have a polymer and you have a plasticizer. Plasticizers is what makes the bottle, you know, like flexible and uh, make sure that it doesn't break. So this is a plasticizer. So regarding the plasticizers and the polyols, they are much bigger market. I would say market which we qualify of commodities. So those markets are markets which we will address, but on a second step. Today, what we do, we are focusing on what we call the plant-based solvent. So bio-based solvent. Okay. And why bio-based? Yeah. Again, because our raw material, our feedstock is what we call uh, biomass, second generation feedstock. Okay. There is no conflict with the food industry. 
Okay, it's a leftover, which is today like burn mostly. And what we do, we collect it and we create value out of that. So we convert that into levolinic acid, into LA. And then through a chemical reaction, we convert that into a plant-based solvent. And we address today markets going from the personal care industry to the home care industry, to the industrial cleaning industry, to the pens and coating industry, and even to agro. So as you can see, because we start from a molecule platform, this gives us opportunity to go to a various number of markets. We're addressing a market which is going through like not an evolution, but a revolution. Okay, why? Because we have no more time and we need to accelerate this transition to bring solution to the climate crisis. Okay. And this industry is being impacted by a few aspects. The first one, you have the regulator, EU government, which are putting more and more pressure by basically phasing out a lot of those ingredients, which we call unsafe. And the US, the Biden organization just came out uh, with the first ever, you know, new regulation on the toxicity in the water. And they are banning more and more what we call forever chemicals. The forever chemicals are the chemicals we are targeting, which means chemicals which are not biodegradable and which basically yeah. accumulate in the environment, in the water we are drinking. Okay. Yeah, like um, silicon. Exactly. Silicon so is one silicon of is one of yeah, them yeah. and uh, I'll get there. So on one side, you have the regulator, which is becoming more and more aggressive and protecting, I would say, more and more environment and people and phasing out a lot of those pro products. Yeah. One. Two is consumers. People like you, people like me, which mm. are requesting safer and more sustainable product and people becoming much more aware of what is happening inside the product. So they request like a new formulation and safer product. So this is also putting massive pressure on the big corporations. And the last one is mm. you have those big corporations, big FMCG taking huge commitment. You have Unilever announcing they want to be 100% bio-based, okay, by 2013, all the, the detergent product. One, you have L'Oreal, which also standing up to be 95% plant-based by 2030. So all those companies taking huge commitment, they're obviously going to become accountable. And on our side, what we're trying to do is like to provide those solutions, to provide those new technology to accelerate the transition. So in a few words, you mentioned silicon. This is exactly true. So the silicon, which is in your shampoo, in your deodorant, in your shower gel. So when you use a shampoo using silicon, unfortunately, the silicon is not biodegradable. Meaning that you use a shampoo with silicon, the silicon is going to accumulate, okay, in the environment, accumulate in the water. And this is why today in the water we are drinking more and more, you have those forever chemicals which are accumulating. So the government and have understood we need to phase out those products. So today silicon is being phased out from the market. In Europe, we're talking 2024, 2025 being replaced. So our product are a silicone replacement. The main difference is our products are what we call biodegradable. So we don't have this issue of forever mm. chemical. One aspect. So one aspect still in, in personal care, we have preservatives. You know, the preservatives are um, what we find, you know, like in a lot of our product, they are the E something, which are obviously like not good for, not good at all. So we are also like what we call preservative booster. But the main difference is like we're able to achieve the same performance, but with a safer product. This is another aspect. We also are developing sunscreen because we know today that a lot of the sunscreen being produced are unfortunately like not 
very safe for, for the environment, not very safe for, for, I would say, for the oceans. So this is another aspect. But I could also mention what we call like pesticide as another example. I mean, we all uh, eat a lot of fruit, vegetables. We know pesticides are not always, I mean, safe for people, for the, for the planet. We also working hand to hand with some of the, the market leaders in this space to develop what we call bio-based pesticides in order to obviously be as good as it was before because performance is very important. You need to be able to deliver the same or if not a better performance, but also we cannot avoid, we have to be more sustainable. So those are the markets which we address, some of the various products which we replace. And as you can see, I mean, we have a direct impact on people out there because the reality is like everything we do is having a direct impact in a consumer good product, which we buy on an everyday basis. It's, it's super interesting because the way that you describe LA is almost like it's effectively like a platform technology. So I, most recently, obviously, we've all been fortunate to benefit from another platform technology, the mRNA vaccine. Do you think that there are potentially applications of LA in areas that maybe you haven't even got to thinking about yet? And research will show that there actually are more ways in which this can be deployed effectively. I fully agree with you. Why? Because uh, again, it's a journey. I mean, we know only what we know. Meaning then uh, I'll take an example, agro. I mean, the agro business was very much not on our radar because also we have to be extremely focused. We need, uh, when we interact with those, those big groups, we need to understand also how to present the product, what the technology can do. And the reality is still, we don't know everything about how those products can be used. It's a journey. I mean, every month we discover uh, new possibilities. Every month we discover like a new application, new way of using those products. So again, I mean, like what I would like to say is we only see the visible part of the iceberg and by yeah. interacting on the market, by interacting with partners, with um, customers, I mean, we also discover, I mean, like other opportunities. And uh, this is for us an important aspect. I mean, when you, when oil was introduced to the market, I mean, maybe it was introduced for at the beginning for cars. But then after, you know, they also started developing the petrochemical industry, which was used for plastic, which was used for other aspects. So LA, it's... Again, it's a molecule platform, and this is exactly what you were saying, is like a, a platform technology. And starting from that, you can yeah. build additional applications, you can build additional market, you can build additional like way of using this product. And this is exactly what we are doing. Um, we started in cosmetic, I mean, personal care, home care. Now we're also in pens and coatings. I mean, the product is being used as a coalescing agent. It makes like a better quality of pen. So um, we're moving to agro. So again, it's a technology platform. And our objective is like to grow and to develop the market, but also at the same time to stay focused. Because in those type of industry, when you have access and you address big markets, it's very easy to get lost. And what's again very important for us is to make sure we, we are on top of things. We are very much control what we do. And we're also able to bring the right answers. Okay, when you have a customer asking a question and unfortunately we don't have an unlimited team and we don't have the pretension to know all those markets by heart. So we're trying to be as focused as possible, but also we have to be like, we have to take the opportunity when it comes to us to open up new market when there is a great potential. Yeah, so you have to be focused. So just give us a sense then, um, if we're thinking about people listening to this podcast, what is the most likely way that they will encounter LA in the coming years? What do you think will be the product that will be 
the product where you really prove the use so, case. Uh, I'll say personal care as an example. I mean, you could yeah. find it in, in a shampoo. Okay. You could find it also in a, in a shower gel. Okay. Detergents, uh, pants coatings. Also, you know, I'm sure we all have done some painting, you know, like inside our house, uh, those uh, terrific smell, you know, after and when we advise you yeah. to leave the, the windows open because this is definitely good. So, I mean, we also entering like paint formulations to make sure that the, the product, the end product is safer, more sustainable. And uh, you also have an application which you don't necessarily see or are aware. I mean, when you buy fruit and, and vegetables, I mean, like most of those products potentially have, have had some pesticide on it to make sure that uh, they are able to uh, to be produced. So those are the various, I would say, applications when we can uh, interfere. Mm, yeah. It was really interesting hearing you talk earlier on, Matthew, about growing up in Marseille and your father being into diving. And I think many of us grew up watching the, the Jacques Cousteau TV shows. And really, they kind of, I think, were the first shows that really sort of showed us the wonder of the ocean. Clearly, sustainability is something that's it's very personal to you and has affected your life. And I've heard you use the phrase in the past, circular bioeconomy. I just wondered, can you just dig into that and explain what you mean by that? Please? So, um, yeah, I, I think um, I've definitely been impacted by those generations of challengers. I mean, you mentioned Jacques Cousteau, but I could also mention David Attenborough, you know, which is, uh, which is also an explorer, yeah. someone which, uh, which I've brought into our life. I mean, uh, the nature, animals and uh, which made them uh, understanding them like a little bit better and also want to, to stand up for them. So, um, so yeah. circular bioeconomy, circular economy, what does that mean in a few words? Okay. In a few words, it's like you start from a feedstock, which is, I would say, like agriculture waste. To produce sugar, you need a sugar cane. Okay. Once you have extracted the sugar and this is being used in a food industry, the bagasse, which is a sugar cane remaining today, is being burned to generate uh, electricity. So what we are doing, basically, we are converting an agriculture waste into an added product and creating value. So this is starting from biomass, from agriculture waste. Then we convert it into like a bio-based ingredient, which you will then find in your shampoo, in your deodorant, in your detergent, in many, many products. And then what happens is that once this product is being used, because it is biodegradable, then you can get back to nature without affecting it or damaging it or even like having a, a negative impact on your health. This is what I call a circular economy is when you are able to start from ag agriculture waste without causing any like a negative impact on people and on the planet. And then when the end of the product is to go back basically to nature, this is what we call circular economy. So this is part of a new, a new, I would say philosophy a new uh, business model. And also, I think we have to redefine what is capitalism uh, in 2023 and how it will be like in 2030. Obviously, I don't have all the answers. Uh, we are moving forward with also a very humble approach. Um, I became CEO only like a year ago. So this is also an interesting journey for me. But um, what we are the most proud of is like more than creating awareness, we bring like solution. And I think what's going to become very important for people out there is to, one, understand what's happening, and two, be able to do a better choice. Because doing a better choice is having a massive impact. You know, when you go and buy one shampoo, which is a petrol-based one, and another one, which is like a bio-based one, once you choose to buy the bio-based one, you are having an impact. I mean, put together, I mean, millions, billions of people, I mean, this is driving change.
Yeah, especially if it's getting to the right price point so that, you know, it's available to everyone. It isn't just something that's uh, available to sort of like people who are able to spend a little bit more on products. You talked a little bit earlier on about taking 12 years to get the products into sort of the marketplace. It's a, you know, deep tech is, is a slow process. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more broadly about the maturity of the green chemicals industry. Like, what do you see there? Are there other players in the market that you think are making change in interesting ways? So this is a, an issue which is developing a lot. Uh, we have seen other industries also changing very much. I mean, I will take the transportations. I mean, if you take cars today, I think it is very clear than uh, the electric cars, or hydrogen car. I mean, they will be the future. And today you see like most of the brand bringing out there more and more electric cars. So it started with like maybe one, two brand, and then it contaminated to every single brand. So I think in the transportation industry, it is very clear that I would say maybe 10 years. In 10 years, we should be able to only have electric cars and government also putting massive uh, restrictions. I think even in UK, I mean, yeah. like, does 2030, like, is it really going to happen in 2030? If it's not 2030, it would be 2032, 2033, but it is very clear that there is a clear path and we will make it happen. So this is on the transportation side. On the petrochemical side, in our industry, it is the same. We are having like a very strict regulation happening. I mean, I think the EU came out with a list of 10,000 products to be phased out from yeah. the market. This is not going to happen in, in one day. We know, but already we have a clear path, which is showing us that it is clear we have to phase that. We have to take out from the market all those products coming from the petrochemical, from the petrochemical industry. So we are one of those technology with the potential to not replace all those ingredients because we know, I mean, we will not be able to do it. Mm. One, because uh, the market's too big. Two, because our technology doesn't allow us to replace 100% of them. But we also have additional, I would say, technology, which are helping us to accelerate this transition. And I think, you know, sometimes I get the question, do you guys have competition? So today on the molecule we manufacture, we have a serious advantage because without 200 IP, we have process IP, we have molecular IP. Now we are moving to application IP, meaning like I want to say we have close to a monopoly on our molecule. But I like to say that if tomorrow we have a competition, it will be good for us because it will help us unlock and accelerate the transition even quicker. And considering that those markets are a huge market, there will be space for everyone. So definitely, I'm very pleased when I see other technology coming on the market. I'm very pleased when, you know, we have, we have a competition showing up because like in sport, I think you have two ways of addressing it. Or you're scared of the competition. And then basically the only thing you do is defend your position or you embrace the competition and this makes you better. Yeah. I mean, this is something which I've learned in sport very much. I mean, competition makes you better. Competition helps you uh, become the best version of yourself. And uh, competition is part of the game, you know, like it makes you move forward quicker and faster. So yes, I see this industry, the, the green chemistry, bio-based industry accelerating. Also, I see an ecosystem which is very favorable. I mean, like, for example, we are opening a new R&D facility in the south of France, in Aix-en-Provence, 600 square meters, which would be very much dedicated on accelerating and continuing like the development of our material, but also bringing the next product, the product of tomorrow to the market. So very much focusing on R&D and keep 
becoming better and better. And because we know, I mean, uh, there are a lot of products which are being phased out. I was mentioning a list of 10,000 products, which means a lot of opportunity out there. And um, we see also like the, the French government pushing very much for reindustrializing, I would say, the French territory, meaning they want to bring back the industries, they want to bring back, you know, those productions which are today maybe like located in Asia, which are located in various parts of the world because uh, the European market is a big market for us. The US market is a big market for us. And also with COVID, we have realized that having your manufacturing closer to your end market is very important. So we're also exploring potentially to develop a new facility, uh, a new factory in France. And again, it's a very, very favorable ecosystem. So government are very much pushing for it. Government are supporting those initiatives. And this also like as an answer to the US government, which have passed, you know, like I think they're going to inject like over 350 billion in a climate change transition. So we see government taking the lead. We see government yeah. understanding what the problem and pushing, you know, the most, I will say, a, a successful technology. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I'd love to just touch on that finance part. Obviously, to accelerate the transition and to grow the markets, there needs to be capital. We are seeing large amounts of capital flows. Part of what the US strategy has been is to obviously offer huge incentives. The EU are doing something similar. As part of this series, I've talked with people in several different areas. And one of the areas that clearly needs to be addressed is this, this enormous transfer of capital to enable a green transition. Deep tech's expensive. Do you see investors getting excited and, and really wanting to commit patient capital to the biochemicals industry? So one aspect which is very important is I think investors are becoming accountable also. It is requested to have more and more transparency. And people like you, people like me, I mean, want to know where the money is being invested. And um, this is one aspect. The second aspect is we have clearly and we are clearly demonstrating that investing in what we call impact can be also like a successful business model. You can generate a lot of return. And investing into like some solutions to accelerate the climate crisis is not philanthropy. I mean, we're building a serious and sustainable businesses, I would say. But the second aspect is some industry will disappear. Yes. And um, I will say by keep investing into an obsolete industry, I mean, this is not necessarily the best business model. So you want to project as fast and as soon as possible into the next industries. What is going to be the next generation of, of solutions? What's going to be the next generation of technology? I mean, the secret of a good investor is to anticipate, okay, and to project himself of what's going to be the next Eldorado. Okay, I mean, we have seen like 50 years ago, 70 years ago, I mean, the people who have invested in, in oil made a lot of money. The question is like, what is now going to be the green or the, the new technology which will help us to basically build a more sustainable future? Um, maybe let me tell you a little bit about the, because I've been working a lot, you know, for the past year in France, trying to also like understand the ecosystem and developing potentially a new factory in France. And what I can say is, one, France is the most advantageous, I will say, like territory when it comes to R&D. Why? Because you have what you call credit tax. And uh, once you spend, you spend 100 in R&D, you get 47% back. This is like obviously uh, very attractive when you have been investing in R&D for the past 12 years, one aspect. But the second aspect is a lot of those technologies were developed in France and a lot of those technologies were not scaled up in France. They were going to be scaled up in the US. They were going to be scaled up in Asia because in Europe and in France, you know, these 
test of risky project was not very much something appealing to a lot of people. And a lot of this technology basically were going to do the scale up, I mean, far away. So you were investing in R&D, but you were not be able to capitalize on a scale up. So things are changing now. You have the EU, which is like deploying a lot of capital in order for technology to do the scale up. When I say scale up, meaning like building their own facility in Europe, EU is investing a lot of money. I mean, we have the Green Deal. Okay, the Green Deal in Europe responding to the US program. Uh, we have France. We have some uh, BPI. BPI is basically like uh, the French investment fund, which is also supporting like those entrepreneurs and this industry to accelerate. So I want to believe there is more and more incentive and more and more money available. I would say capital available to accelerate this transition. And I think also what will be, um, very appealing for the investors, maybe not necessary today, but tomorrow. And when it's when you will have those very successful business model, which will have been proven. Because the reality is like, what's the difference between the tech world, the deep tech or the biochemical world? I mean, in the tech world, you have those, those Facebook, those, you know, Amazon of this world, which basically are, have a good example than once if you invest in the right technology, you can make some significant return. But this is also going to happen and happening already like in a biochemical uh, material or in a bi- biochemical, you know, solutions. Once you will have those business models which have been proven, once you will have those successful stories, then obviously it will become even more of a no-brainer for all, all those investors. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, like there is a very clear direction of travel in this area, both in terms of push from government and consumers, but also in terms of the pull. Like you are talking about industries that are going to basically effectively be phased out in the in the coming years. So there's there's huge opportunity. We're pretty much out of time, Matthew, but I, I've got one final question that I'd love to ask you, which is really about your entrepreneurial journey and how you think about being an entrepreneur and how being a CEO compares to the world of professional football like how does how do you think about that how do the stress levels compare how does the the performance level that you require of yourself um compare first of all i have to say um being an entrepreneur it is not easy okay and uh, i'm really like uh, being totally honest and transparent it is not easy it is not easy neither to be a ceo um the reality is your every day you have a good reason to stop and uh, you need a lot of passion. Uh, I think for me, this is this is key. And uh, I'm maybe a little bit luckier than than I would say other entrepreneurs and other CEOs because I had a previous career before, which is helping me a lot. I would say in my new career because I've been CEO for the past year, so I'm still a young CEO. Every day is a new learning. I move forward with a lot, with a lot of humility, but uh, being a, an elite athlete has been helping me a lot. I like to make, you know, the parallel between the top athlete and special forces. Why? Because it's total mm. commitment. Two, where everyone else will stop, we have to keep going. What does that mean? That I think for 20 years, there is not one day where I've been waking up without feeling pain somewhere in my body. And still you have yeah. to move forward, still you have to perform, still you have to be at your best. It's also like special forces. I mean, when you play at the top level, it's direct competition. Direct competition meaning that it's you or your opponent, and it better be you. So you develop skills, which I would say in a normal job, you will not necessarily have to do. So if if we speak about parallels between like my life as a professional football player and my life as an entrepreneur, there are plenty of them. 
maybe you know not everyone uh, necessarily realize but perform under pressure okay i mean like when you play yeah. in front of 80,000 people and millions more you know on tv you can't hide not only you have to deal with the pressure but you have to be good at what you do same when you're an entrepreneur you know when you basically invest your own money when you're responsible of your employees when you have no other choice than to find solution to a problem this is huge pressure you have to deal with and you have to keep moving forward then it's dedication, resilience, hard work. All these, I mean, are basically the foundation to be like a, a top athlete. Okay. You cannot uh, basically believe to be at the top without hard work, without full commitment. Same as an entrepreneur. Maybe at the difference when you work for a company, you know, you go home and what you usually do, you leave your problem outside the house. When you're an entrepreneur and, and the CEO, it is not easy to basically like live outside the house, your problems, usually, I mean, you, you think about, you, you go to bed thinking about your company, you wake up thinking about your company, you dream about your company. So it's a nonstop, <laughs> I will say, journey. Then I think you also have the, <laughs> the teamwork. I mean, um, mm. I always say people make a company successful or not. When you're in a team and uh, you have 25 players, it's not only about the starting 11. I mean, I remember like someone like Carlo Angelotti saying, it's not about the starting 11, it's about how do you manage a dressing room. This is true mm. because the reality is if you lose on the way uh, a few players, those guys go in another direction, they're going to create like a, a bad spirit in the dressing room. The same in the team, you know, I mean, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, you build your own team. Team spirit, is super important. You also be able to inspire. You also have to, to lead the team. This is not easy. And uh, again, I think for me, what's really guiding me is obviously passion. I said I started playing football. I was five years old. It has been a huge passion and I'm so thankful I've been able to live my dream for so long. And two now, I mean, I'm very committed to the cause. Um, this is also like I'm, I'm vegetarian. I'm part of the environmental committee for the next Olympic Games in 2024. So it's really like a, a lifestyle. And I've played football for a long time, Greg. And uh, it, for me, I mean, like deciding to go again in this new adventure, new journey, new challenge, it was not an obligation. You know, I could have retired and be happy for the rest of, of my life. But I like the challenge very much. I love the adrenaline. And I need to find a challenge big enough to, to get excited. That's why I decided to, to go in that direction. And uh, failure is not an option. I'm definitely not taking no for an answer. And, uh, and, uh, and we have no other, other choice than to make it happen. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for sharing your, your passion and you taking on this this really grand challenge. Um, it's been fascinating hearing your story, but also the story of um, GF Biochemicals. And um, it's going to be super interesting to see your journey as you continue to sort of disrupt the petrochemical industry. And I, for one, I'm really excited to, um, you know, wash my hair with one of your products in the coming coming years. Yeah, I and mean, the idea would be uh, for you and, and many more to have access to a safer and more sustainable product because, I mean, the reality is like something has to change. And and maybe the last word, I'm also very much looking forward to this exciting uh, end of the season and finger cross, you know, we are able to, we're able to, to bring it home. Finger crossed. Fingers crossed. I will, I mean, I'm, I'm on tenterhooks, but that's a great place to win. Matthew, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, Greg. Take care. Wired Foresight is a Condé Nast Entertainment production. Jessica Taylor is our managing producer. Emily Elias is our producer. Annalise Begent is our production assistant. Jake Loomis is our mix engineer. 
Special thanks to Hannah Brewer, Jordan Bell, Peyton Hayes, and Nico Steele. I'm your host, Greg Williams. Thank you so much for joining us. 